Hi, everybody. I'm Colin. And my name is Javen. And this is the Abstract Podcast, where we talk about ideas that matter. Today on the podcast, I sit down with one of our good friends, Andrew Martin, and we talk about AI, artificial intelligence, the future of digital technology, and many other things. Andrew is a good friend of ours. He's uh, a student at Clemson University, where he is studying engineering. And as always, we are sponsored by Hirschberger's Bakery in Fair Play, South Carolina. They have pastries, they have sandwiches, they have good drinks, great service. But the other thing they have, too, is sweetbreads, uh, banana, blueberry, the works. Yeah, poppy seed. I picked one up this morning, actually. Good stuff. They're, yeah, they're really good. And I talked to Dr. Herringer in passing. Oh, yes. And yes, he said the bread was great. He said his kids absolutely loved it, and they were really thankful for it. All right, so, so the, the bread passes. All right, so go check out the bakery on right off of Interstate 85, Fair Play, South Carolina, right across from Yoder's Building Supply. Yeah. All right, Colin. Today in history, a lot of different things happen. Okay. So Makes I'm going to read them to you, and you're going to tell me which one. You're going to be the, the authoritative decision maker of which was the most important. Okay? okay, I know stuff. Yeah, I mean, this is only like 400 years ago. <laughs> 1727, George okay. II of England was crowned. Okay. Or where? Where was he crowned on that? In England. England, England okay. Yeah. <laughs> 1862, the Confederate Progress in Richmond passes a draft law allowing anyone 20 or more, what? Allowing anyone owning 20 or more slaves to be exempt from military service. Mm, that doesn't sound good. Important, though, maybe. Yeah, that would be important. Okay, 1877. This might be the winner. Outlaw Wild Bill Longley, who killed at least a dozen men, is hanged, but it took two tries. (laughs) On the first try, the rope slipped and his knees drug on the ground. (laughs) I think that was important for our uh, execution reform system. Yeah, Wild Bill. (laughs) He is a tough one. Um, 1906, San Francisco School Board orders the segregation of Oriental school children inciting Japanese outrage. That was only 100 years ago. Hmm. Well, that was during the... They had the... um, which McCall camps um, when they started? Oh yeah, the, uh, yeah, Japanese. Anyway, yeah, that was during World War One, two. One of those. Yeah, yeah, I don't really know my history. 1968, Apollo Seven with three men aboard is successfully launched from Cape Kennedy. 1972, race riots break out aboard the carrier USS Kitty Hawk off of Vietnam. There's no way you can remember all of these, but you can just pick yeah, one. You know, I'll probably just pick the most recent one. <laughs> <laughs> one of them, remember? All right. <laughs> 1991, confirmation hearings for Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas begin. So, what's your ruling? Uh, I kind of forget all of them except for Clarence Thomas. I think that was really important. Yeah, because I mean, that or Wild Bill. Yeah, I remember, yeah, Wild Bill. <laughs> that gave us, yeah, that, that leads to good discussions about the death penalty, which is important. And the need for higher and the gallows. Need, yeah, the need for higher gallows. Yeah. <laughs> Next week on the podcast, Colin is going to interview a very special guest who is coming to our campus to speak. Colin, tell us just a bit about that conversation. Yeah, so I'm really excited and uh, kind of humbled that he decided to come on our little show because he's a fairly well-known speaker. Um, but yeah, Christopher Yuan, I came across his story. It would have been last fall, I think. I was listening to another podcast where he was interviewed. Um, but he and his mom tell their story. It'll just be him next week. Uh, but just a pretty incredible story where he went from a uh, 
gay dropout of the, or he was actually expelled from dentist school drug dealer oh in prison um to a man who now travels and talks about um human sexuality wow. and formation and uh he he's just he's a really brilliant guy too he's a professor at um is it Moody Bible Institute? Okay. Maybe. Anyway, really smart guy, and then just a, it, cool. Yeah, he's a great guy to have at this cultural moment with the yeah, experience with he everything has. Yeah, yeah. So we're just gonna mainly just I'm just gonna mainly get him to tell a story, um, and I I highly recommend it to all kinds of people to listen to it. Um, so yeah, I'm cool. really excited about it. Well, we look forward to hearing your conversation and hearing him talk to us here on campus. Next up is my conversation with Andrew Martin. Andrew, thanks for sitting down with me today. Yes, sir. Glad to be here. Um, I want to have you on to talk about technology and AI, computers, something you're interested in and knowledgeable about. So I wanted to ask you to start off with what what are we expecting in the next five to ten years as far as uh, artificial intelligence and technology integrated into our daily lives? So let's start with AI. Over the next five to ten years, we're not going to see, I don't think we're going to see terrible much in terms of revolutionary. Um, we're just going to see more of what we have, just simply more powerful. Like, let's take, for instance, computers, your, your desktop, your laptop, your smartphone. Not, definitely within the next five years, nothing big is on the horizon. You're just going to get more powerful processors, more RAM, more storage, etc. Well, yeah, and with, with internet capacity too, right? Like getting faster, the 5G revolution. Yeah, well, we'll see how that plays out if the health scares that people oh, really? have been. Oh, yeah, people have been. Like, I think in Sweden, no, not Sweden, Switzerland, I believe the, the folks there, they originally had it, and then over health fears, whether real or not, I don't know, but they banned it or got rid of it or something. I, I know there's some sort of a health fear because it's at such a high frequency, it might cause headaches or something. I, I, I'm not 100% yeah, sure on how that is, but there, some people are, yeah, whether, whether that's real or anyway. Interesting. But I think even over the last, I would say even over the last five years, we've seen a lot of new things like with the development of Siri talking back to us with Alexa in our homes, mm-hmm. with um, you know cars that are starting while we're still in our warm house and heating up for us. Yes, that that is very new stuff, but the technology itself is not new. It's just taking what we have and applying it to new things. As far as new technology, I mean, I don't really see much, at least in the near term, mainly because the way we produce stuff is not changing fundamentally. So we produce stuff on these, all our chips are produced on these silicon wafers. Mm-hmm. On these, essentially think of it as a, a circular silicon wafer that's like 99.999% pure silicon. And then they use like, uh, they use techniques such as using light to sketch out circuit pathways, ion doping and etc., to create transistors and circuits on there. And over the last really 50 years, that's how it's been done. And so every few years they come out with a smaller process, which means your transistors get a bit smaller. Mm -hmm. And that allows you to cram more 
into a smaller space. Right, so essentially our laptops get smaller and more powerful, right? Well, not the laptops themselves, the chips within them will get more powerful. They'll get, you can cram more stuff into the same space mm -hmm. and you get it, it'll, it'll be faster and it'll be more power efficient. Here's the issue though, is the time between node improvements, i.e. the time between taking a process, having it mature, and then going to a smaller process is getting longer. And that's because it's getting harder and harder. If you look at the distance between some of these transistor features, you can measure it in atoms, in <laughs> how many silicon atoms. It, it, it's getting harder to overcome some of these physics stuff. Now, I'm not saying we're hitting a wall just yet. We probably still have 10 to 20 years before we hit a solid physical limit. But it is getting harder and it's becoming more cost prohibitive. We only have three companies in the world now that are actually advancing this. 20 years ago, we had dozens. Hmm. And it's just become so expensive. Like we had one global foundries just dropped out. They were, they quit producing, they quit researching their seven nanometer process because it be, the costs were, rent, were just getting way in the billions and they could not afford it. And then also your gains. So going from say 14 nanometer process to a seven nanometer process, you don't get as many gains in terms of performance and in terms of power efficiency as you did when, say, going from the previous node, which was 22 nanometers to 14 nanometers. And so what does that mean? So a lot of our improvements over the last 40 to 50 years have been from these node shrinks. They've allowed us to get faster chips at essentially no cost. Mm -hmm. You can cram more features in there because now I have more space to just throw more transistors in there. So now we're having to start to think outside the box a bit, which is very fascinating. And there's a lot of interesting ideas coming up, like 3D stacking, uh, heterogeneous chip architectures, which essentially means taking a, a big silicon substrate or a large piece of silicon and putting multiple chips on it. And so you can have a CPU, you can have an AI chip, you can have memory on it. And, and there's other stuff on the horizon that people are trying to do, but that fundamentally has been slowing us down. And so now, now that we're hitting this limit and people are, going, are thinking outside the box, within the next 10 to 20 years, we're gonna have some interesting stuff because now, we're forced to truly innovate. Mm -hmm. And that'll be interesting because we'll get some wildly new architectures sure. and interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, what you're talking about here is the same principle as, as really anything that you take a lot of time to try to get better at. For instance, mm -hmm. even like running, mm -hmm. you know, running in the Olympics. Like we break the world record and break the world record and break it and break it and break it. But at some point, yeah. you've pretty much innovated how to run Correct. You know what I'm saying? And, and then also what you were saying with not everyone can compete anymore. Like, yes. it's so expensive to do this at a mm -hmm. professional level mm -hmm. that it forces the small men out. Yes, yes. Well, the small men still have their own things. Like, take, for instance, Texas Instruments. Uh, I think about 10 years ago dropped out. They're the makers of all our calculators, but they still make a ton of chips. They just don't need to be bleeding edge. You don't need the... You don't need... A right. super powerful chip for your calculator. Yeah. You know, or for other stuff. So there's other uses. But see, a lot of the focus around these new chips has been on GPUs, on ASICs, and, and parallel processing, which 
in, in, in English means handling a lot of tasks simultaneously. It's good for AI. Um, it's good for, it's actually somewhat good for gaming. So your GPU is what draws the image on your screen and gamers like to have all that eye candy. And so they'll go and buy these expensive GPUs and they, what a GPU will do is it'll run, literally it'll have 5,000, well, depending on the model obviously, it'll have many thousands of different units running in parallel at the same time. And that's very hard to do. Having 5,000, having a task that can be split up 5,000 ways <laughs> and still run efficiently. And then there's other stuff, other chips like what Tesla's doing. They're actually moving away from the GPU and going for a custom made chip. And so for autonomous vehicles and such, again, thinking outside the box, these ASICs, these chips are built specifically for one purpose. That's one way they're overcoming yeah. this limit. Right. And because at this point, our chips, no matter what your your goal is, what your process is, you're pretty much using the same cookie cutter chips, right? Yes. So a, a lot of our chips that we've been using over the past 30, 40 years, they are they can do everything very, very well. Mm -hmm. But the problem is they can do every since they can have to do everything it makes them unwieldy in a sense. So yeah. when Tesla went and made a chip specifically for their autonomous vehicles, they were, they were able to cut out so much, I forget what their power savings was. It was ridiculous, like six or seven times power reduction and size reduction. And they got a massive performance uplift because they were able to cut out all this unnecessary stuff. And so like you could think of it like a, a, a race car. Take, say, a race car versus a minivan or a truck or whatever. It, it, a race car is built for one purpose. Everything is designed for that one purpose, whereas your normal car or a truck, it's gonna, it, it has to do pretty much anything. Mm -hmm. it, it's a general purpose vehicle. Whereas with a race car, everything is fine-tuned specifically for one purpose. To go in circles really to go fast. In, yes, exactly. Or if your Formula One go on these weird yeah. tracks, yeah, I was I was thinking earlier today about how um, well I had been watching a video in class about kind of the the evolution of gaming, and mm. this was the video was made. It was a TED talk done in two thousand five, and so you know it wasn't like they were narrow minded in saying we've arrived at some sort of you know wall where we can't get any better than this but it was interesting that you know they were kind of amazed by their own technology in 2005 and they mm -hmm. showed a, a history of like you know starting with two-dimensional games yes and this pac-man style stuff and then even to where they had gotten all the way up to like their first person shooter games mm -hmm. and like um sports games and stuff like that mm -hmm. and then as someone in 2019 who's played a little bit of anything yeah. to look back at what was in 2005 it's like you guys had no idea what was coming yeah but i think even now it's like the technology hasn't really gotten that much newer mm -mm. i don't really know that much about gaming but it does seem like now we are moving into new things like virtual reality yeah well here's the interesting thing though vr was hyped up to be the thing i think it was in 2016 when it first came mm -hmm. out and it's gotten some traction but it's not as widespread as you may think what needs to happen is the technology needs to mature to the point where it becomes a lot cheaper. Exactly, yeah. And, it need, and one of the limitations is to be able to get... Okay, so 
back up a bit. For VR to become really good, you need to have a high quality image and it needs to, you need to have a high refresh rate, i.e. the amount of times it will refresh the screen and have a new picture up because if you have it too slow, you'll get nausea effects. And like people will feel nauseous or maybe get headaches. Hmm. And so that requires a very powerful GPU. And we have not arrived there yet in terms of getting a cheap one that's powerful enough. Right now, there's powerful enough stuff that can just rip through VR. Like NVIDIA's RTX 2080 will just absolutely eviscerate any <laughs> VR you throw at it. But it costs you 1100 bucks. Yeah. Now, some of it is because NVIDIA is milking the market. And being greedy, like their previous flagship stuff would cost 700 bucks. But part of it is it's a high-end chip. It's If you look at the die size, which is the size of the, of the physical chip, you know, you, you increase the size, the costs go up. And, but anyway, no, in terms of gaming advancements, the ray tracing, I don't know if you've heard about that. That is the new darling Okay. That's trying to get pushed. Right now, it's in its infancy. So it's not good. What does it mean? So, okay, what we have now is rasterization. And essentially, what it, you do is you take... Well, I got a really rough description of it. Is you take a tile and you pull um, pixel and color information, shadow information from this image that the graphics card has built. Mm-hmm. It, this world that's built and it takes it in little square chunks. It, it's a little hard to explain, but it's it's cheating the system. Now, versus what we had previously, which was a pixel-based thing, it, it was, wow, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. But ray tracing, what it does is it'll send a beam of light from, it'll send a beam from a camera. And as that beam hits objects, it'll get color information. And so you can have more accurate shadows, more accurate reflection. Mm. Your illumination becomes fuller and richer. The problem is, is the current implementation is still in its infancy. You turn that on, your frame rate will get cut in half or cut in a third. <laughs> like so, it's, it's so. Once again, we don't have the power to process. We don't. But this is first generation stuff. Give it five to ten years, and yeah, probably within ten years it'll take over the entire market. Hmm. But right now we're not there. Now one interesting thing, not just for gaming but for the rest of uh, computing stuff, is actually the AI. So. A lot of people will complain that the AI in games is trash. And in many cases, it is. It, it, it truly is just trash. The, the, in some games, the, the NPCs, the, the computer players you fight are just plain <laughs> stupid. Right. It's funny. I don't know if you've seen funny Skyrim exploits, but people who, who are listening to this and have played Skyrim know what I'm talking about. You can make the players, or maybe it's actually Elder Scrolls Oblivion, I forget. But they, it's some interesting things you can make the player do. <laughs> let's put it that way. It's hilarious. So let's move from talking a bit, you know, like this gaming and more handheld technology to actually AI as um, like mechanized production. Because, right, this was the big fear, I guess in the earlier stages of artificial intelligence or, you know, machines that could do our work for us was that they're going to take all of our jobs from us. Mm -hmm. As we see the advancement of AI and new technology and how computers are getting more and more powerful, Mm -hmm. what do you think is the the implications of that as far as our own jobs and and what we're going to be putting our energy to? That's a a big question to answer because on the one hand, we have a lot of data 
from when this stuff has previously happened, like when the Industrial Revolution first hit. Mm-hmm. So people, the Luddites were conf- were afraid that it would take all their jobs. Like the textile mills would, well, they would do what a lot of women would do, which is make right. clothes, make and, fabrics. I mean, and to their credit, they were right, right? Like it took They were jobs. right. It did. But then now, I don't think you will find a single lady who is like, oh, no. This is so terrible. I can't. I don't. I don't need to knit anymore yeah, I to wish get I was to make wash, clothes. I wish I was washing my dishes by yes. hand. Yes, right. I, or washing my clothes by hand. Yeah, that's sure. even worse than dishes by hand, or stuff like that. It, it created a lot of new jobs that people would have never predicted. And what happened is, it took a lot of drudgery out of our our lives, and we were free to use our creative powers, and. We had this idea, and we could implement, and the machines could produce it. That's how it is today, particularly with CNC stuff. We have an idea, and we put it in a computer, and the machine will spit out our creative idea. And really, when you think about it, beforehand, if we wouldn't have that, we'd have the idea, and then we'd take a lot of time and energy to to, make it come to life. Well, now it's so easy to make it come to life, creating prototypes and stuff, 3D printing. But this new automation revolution is not, well, it's a bit different, but we don't know how different because, okay, if we look at the Detroit industry, a lot of robots have taken people's jobs. It used to be people being the assembly lines making cars. Well, now Mm -hmm. they'll have these robot arms that'll do the same thing. Certainly. And so that's displaced a lot of people in, particularly in Michigan, and in Pennsylvania, in, in those areas where automobile industry is is very heavy, that displaced a lot of people. People were more concerned. Oh, it's going to China, to some or to Mexico, and to some extent they're right, but it's mainly the automation that's done that, and also, uh, and just a lot of other industries. That's one thing. So that'll displace a lot of manufacturing jobs, but. That's not the real automation thing. That it's it's not the real threat or or big thing that's looming on the horizon. It's cognitive. It's AIs that can do cognitive work that a human used to do. An AI secretary, an AI accountant, an AI who can do some engineering design. I've seen AIs come up with some interesting engineering designs. For, for widgets and stuff. Mm-hmm. Instead of having an engineer do it, they've had a machine learning algorithm make it, come up with this design. Some of them are pretty worthless, and so we're not, we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. But some of them are good enough that it also shows that we're not far off either. Like within 10 to 20 years, we could start seeing some basic jobs that require basic cognitive tasks get replaced by computer programs or smart programs. And see, what's different is these previous automation revolutions were replacing physical labor. Right. And not, so people, not cognitive process. Correct. Yeah. And so one way we can combat this is, okay, new jobs. We don't know what will be produced from this. Mm-hmm. People will say, oh, we'll have more programmers or coders. Well, the problem is not everyone wants to be one. And problem number two is, not everyone's smart enough to be one. In fact, I would go as far as to say you could have a, up to a third or a, even half of the population 
not being able to do these new jobs, they simply don't have the brain power to do them well. I'm not saying they couldn't do them, but to do it competitively in a competitive free market. But we also, I mean, we just have no idea what kind of new opportunities and jobs will come because Mm -hmm. you could have, I think, said the same thing during the, you know, the uh, the industrial revolution like mm-hmm. not everyone's going to be smart enough to build these new machines that are going to take our jobs right? well well a lot of the new jobs that came up were factory auto uh fact assembly line jobs and so these jobs didn't require any cognitive stuff joe here would go to the factory and his job all day was to put this bolt in this place or two or three bolts in this place or to connect this or put this piece of sheeting on this RV or attach this tire to this car. That doesn't require anything. This is a little bit different. Now, how much, again, how much will it displace? But permanently, we truly, we don't know. Sure. But back to your point about Joe, the other thing it did was with the automobile being Mm -hmm. produced in assembly line, we now suddenly, we need mechanics and we need Mm -hmm. people who can change tires and people who can tow your car when it breaks down. So, like, it opens up a whole new field of well, jobs. Well, we also need engineers who could design cars. We needed uh, gas, the gasoline industry. Yeah. Gas Even, stations. Yeah, compl- new We industries. needed highway engineers. Sure. Uh, asphalt material engineers. Uh, you know, and then people who design the actual roadways themselves. So, yes, it created a whole host of new jobs. So, in that sense, you're right. We really, it comes back to this, we don't know. Because those new jobs, if you look at them, were more cognitively demanding. Even something as simple as a mechanic. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it doesn't take. This is an insult to the mechanics, but it doesn't take a lot of brain power to become a mechanic. Right, it's not it rocket science, but you still have to learn your trade. Yes, it's a lot, and it's not a trade everyone has time to learn. Yes, well, yeah. I mean, it, it takes more time than say putting the bolts. What, what I'm saying is the people designing the machines don't also know how to change their oil and diagnose their car problems. Oh, yes. (laughs) There's some interesting stories coming from Clemson's mechanical engineering program. These They can design all this amazing stuff, but they don't know how to change the oil. It's like, come on, guys. You're, you're mechanical engineers for a reason. So the last the last thing I wanted to talk about is um, it's a bit, I guess, less technical, and I just wanted to hear, hear your opinion on it. Um, does the creation, in your estimation, does, does the development... Um, implementation, creation of new AI, these things that can do what we used to have to do ourselves, it does it for us. Does that make us more or less free as individuals and able to more fully embody what it means to be, you know, like persons, people? If it doesn't take away our need to work, as long as we have a need to work, then we're still fine. Because a lot of what humanity is is work. God said in the, gar- went in the garden, wanted Adam first to name the animals, and then he wanted Adam and Eve to fill the earth and subdue it. They want him to do work. And so that's just part of what it means to be human. If you don't do work, either because you're disabled or because you're too lazy and you're just sitting around, you lose some part of humanity. You can't live and be live life to its fullest like most other people can so as long as it doesn't well that's one thing as long as it doesn't completely eliminate our need to do work 
then then we still have a chance. But another thing is, and here's where it gets a little tricky, it is what do you mean by AI? Because there, there's several, I guess, categories of AI you can say. There's more specialized AI, um, like your, your Siri or your Alexa. They are programmed to do one specific task. That's it. They are not, they cannot do anything outside of that task. Now, we can have a thousand different AI doing a thousand different tasks, but it still won't replace, it, it still won't eliminate our need for work. Now, when we talk about the AI that people fear, okay, like in the Matrix or in the Terminator series, like Skynet or whatever, a general, a, a, a super intelligent AI that can innovate itself faster than we can develop it. And an AI that's intelligence far surpasses humanities. That, that's a different story. That we truly do not know. Okay, so, so uh, oh, go ahead. So, say for instance, we have an AI that can now solve our problems way better than we can. Now, what kind of problems are you talking about? Research problems, math problems, like... But wouldn't you say that that's already happened? No. Because you don't, and, you don't and, need a textbook anymore to figure out what happened in 1933 or anything. Okay, but what about what should we do from here? How, like, okay, what is, for instance, what is the best way, um, let me just use an example. I don't think it's true, but let's say, what's the best way to combat climate change? I don't think climate change is real, but let's, let's <laughs> pretend it is. What is the best way to combat that? Or what's the best way to raise people out of Africa out of poverty? Yeah, well, those are almost... I mean, climate change could be kind of a technical, formulaic answer. But what about what's the best way to raise your child? Or what's the best religion? You could say that, but okay. These... The AI that we're describing, okay, if it's achieved, it'll be when we're way, way older. When, when we're middle-aged or we're old people. Like, the intelligence I'm talking about, it, the difference between it and us is about the difference between us and the chimpanzee, okay? The chimpanzee can only do a few things. We, humanity, can do a great amount of stuff. The super-intelligent AI, that's theorized about. Who knows if we'll actually get there? But if we do get there, who knows what it's capable of? Like, no, seriously the ability to innovate technology and to think about stuff. It, see, the difference between us and a, and a truly smart AI is we have a knowledge constraint. We have a limit to how much knowledge we can receive and then process just because, well, we have our five senses, we're confined to our body. Mm. But an AI can, can process vastly more more information than we can. Like even even a modern day supercomputer, what it can do with simulating stuff, what it can simulate in you know a couple weeks, it would take a group of people several lifetimes to do. And and so I'm saying it can make more informed judgments than even a group of humans can. So final question, what do you think um, poses? Maybe the most imminent threat to our doing what God has called us to do, the 
the large supercomputer, which mm-hmm. could ultimately become more powerful than humanity, mm-hmm. or the um, you know the technology that pervades our life, like Siri telling us things, or Netflix always at our fingertips, or these things that are always around us that tempt us not to be. Oh, productive. it's all—it's the stuff that's around us because it invokes because we are interacting with it, and because humanity is interacting with something. That always poses the greatest risk. Because we can be our own worst enemy. We are marred by the fall. And so, some theoretical boogeyman in the future, whoop-de-doo. I mean, it's like climate change. Greta Thunberg, oh, you've taken away, you've taken away my dreams and hopes. You're talking about something that may or may not happen. The here and now, the Netflix, the Alexa... What's scary is, and see, here's the interesting thing about AI. It, do, it does what it's programmed to do. Alexa is programmed to do what Google, what, I'm sorry, what Amazon wants it to do. Mm-hmm. And so what Amazon wants, the values that Amazon wants to spread are not the values you and I hold. The values that Apple wants to spread are not the values you or I want to hold. We, and that's one danger. And then the other danger is just in the technology itself, spending time on it, uh, misusing it. That, 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 that in itself is an inherent danger, no matter if it's created, if it's the people who develop it want to use it for good, want to use it for have the same values as we are and want to further uh, those values and make society a better place with it. We still can misuse it. Mm-hmm. it it's a tool. Yeah, we were talking today in um, in one of my classes just about the different epochs of media. You mm-hmm. know, you have like you have the oral age where we're mm-hmm. just talking in tribes. Then we we start to become literate. Then we get the printing press, mm-hmm. and with the rise of the printing press, we become maybe much more individualistic. Like you're mm-hmm. reading a book, and you're not doing that with other people. You're doing that by yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Print makes us much more individualistic. But then then we kind of have like the rise of the um, electronic age where we have Mm -hmm. television and in some sense television when it came out in the 70s and 80s people were sitting around in their living rooms as a family and Mm -hmm. listening to the radio you had one tv in your house Mm -hmm. now i don't even know what the number is but we have a lot of screens per person in every house kids are not watching tv with their brothers and sisters they have their own device and they're Mm -hmm. sitting it so i think it's interesting that perhaps now more than ever it's just (laughs) <laughs> there's an album by Band of Horses everything all the time like yeah. you can choose whatever you want all the time so maybe more than ever if you want community it's there but you have to choose it and if yes. you want friends you have to choose them because you don't have to have them correct yes the market is good at catering to what people want mm-hmm. and so that's a good and a bad thing yeah technology the technology that's the darker side of it because yeah. we want I want what I want, and what I want is not always the best for me. Yeah. Everyone knows that. Certainly. So so maybe now, even more than ever, we're in a position to make a truly moral choice about what we want because we are presented with mm-hmm. all the options Correct. all the time. Yes. And so that bring, the burden is a lot more on us to mm-hmm. do good. And, and, and even to create what normal is going to look like around us and around the people around Mm -hmm. us because it can be whatever you want to shape it into. Yes. See, 
The funny thing is, is people always want to shape reality to their desires. That's always been the case throughout history, is people want to turn what's in their head into reality and then, and then make the world around them what they want it to be. It's so easy to do that now with my screen. Mm-hmm. I can make, I can look and see what I want to see. I can choose to see what I want to see and ignore everything else that I might not like or might be uncomfortable. I can look at one side of the news story and ignore the other guys. I can ignore, I can create my own version of reality and live inside my own bubble. Right. So, in that sense, yeah, the thing, that, that, that is an inherent danger. That, that's an inherent, that, that's an unfortunate side effect of what we have, but let's look at it the other way. That shows how, what, what kind of power these tools have Certainly. in our lives. And that's what they are. They're tools. A hammer, it can be, it's used for great good, building houses. But it can be also used for great ill as well, hurting others. A smartphone, a computer, the internet, an autonomous vehicle, an AI even, a dumb AI can even, it fits that same thing. It's a tool. That's all it is. Yeah, and and I think it would be... I think it's right to say that we, we must remain the masters of our tools. Correct. And in order to do that, I think you, you truly have to become the master of yourself. Correct. Yes. Which is not I, an yeah. easy thing. Yes. Agreed. That, that's what separates us from generations past is we have access to the tools, but we have access to them too soon in our lives. Before we, can con- before we grow up and know how to control ourselves... We're given these things. Oh, before we can even read. Before oh, we can yes. even walk. Yes, <laughs> in a lot of cases. And so that that's the danger right there. In, in an ideal world, men and women use these. Hmm. No, we don't. Boys and girls use them. Some of these boys and girls may be 40 years old. <laughs> no, really. Really. Look at the a lot of people who... They grow up physically, they mature physically, but they never truly mature. They never become a man. And you can say it's technology, and a lot of times, in many, many cases it is, they, they go to work, and they come home, and then they do whatever. They hang out with their gaming buddies. Right. And Yeah, I mean, and it's still back to what you talked about mm-hmm. earlier, is, is our you know, call by God to be creative yes. and master over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, we could talk about this for a long time. Oh, yes. This is good stuff. But thanks for coming by. Yes, sir. And taking the time. Yes, sir. It was a pleasure to be here.